So it's about time. <laughs> uh, before I share a bit, I thought we would share a video with you that if you have, if this is your first time hearing about us and Haiti Arise, it gives a really good um, background and picture of what's happening and why. Why did we start what we're doing? So like um, Pastor Matt said that uh, Mark is from Haiti and came here to go to Bible college and we went to school together at Eastside City Church when, it, when they had Evangel Bible College. Uh, so just take a watch and you'll see a little bit of background. My parents gave me away at five years old. I remember that day a lady came over and started talking to my parents. They spent a long time talking. When they were done talking, that lady came over and grabbed me by the hands and started pulling me behind her. I looked back to see if my parents were going to come and took me away from her. They stood there and watched me go. So I was physically abused, verbally abused. You're not allowed to have friends or play. I was hungered to go to school. I wanted to go to school, but I, I couldn't go. I was put to work to maybe earn one little military. When I turned 12, my brother came to visit. He asked me, do you want to leave? And I said, yes. I said, I'm going to love Jesus, and I'm going to take my studies seriously. I want to become someone in life. I graduated high school at 25 years old. My sponsor brought me to Canada after a year to continue my studies. And I thought, I'm not going to stay here. I'm going to come back to Haiti to serve my people. Haiti is one of the most corrupt country in the world. When I came back, I saw young people, they're not doing anything. And then they start sharing with you. There is no work and there is no place here to go learn a skill. The young people were neglected. <laughs> It's difficult to get a pile of pills because it's not a thing that's easy to deposit your CV or to do a pile of research. But girls are always easier to work. My father is not professional, my father is not professional. It's a little job that we have, even if I have to leave my children. I don't have to go to the house. It helps me to get more. Unemployment here was 80%. Life expectancy, 45. One in every 10 children in Haiti is a slave. And then 35% literacy rate. So you don't even know where to start. Our vision for Haiti Wise is to raise up godly leaders, give them skill by establishing a technical school. We're teaching young people trades and skills so they can provide for themselves and then providing education for children. And then through the medical clinic, we're teaching prevention. I'm 
nous fait nous-mêmes nous influencer façon nous habiller façon nous parler avec eux façon nous agir devant une transformation qui vient fait par caillou donc on passe c'est là tout cap bien en changement vinn l'école et pas vinn l'école et c'est pas seulement pour vinn apprendre l'électricité qui vraiment aidé l'aime dans la rue avec façon qu'un comment pour bien qui j'aime bailler moi même c'est une opportunité que me joindre pour profiter de ça ma papa to raise up godly leaders is to ingrain integrity and sincerity. Lem fin graduate, nous gagne un pile projet, gagne nous gagne projet pour nous faire pour acheter machine, pour nous travailler, pour nous disponible dans communauté ay pour remettre tout ça nous t'ai apprendre pour ouais comment Il est important pour apprendre. Je suis venu un professionnel grâce à The young people around us, they can see it's changing their lives inside out. I want to make sure we teach them properly so they can provide for themselves, their family, they can go out, set up businesses, transform communities, and then Haiti will be changed. So I have the privilege to be married to that guy. And it's been a beautiful journey, amazing. It has actually been 20 years. Our anniversary is this May. <laughs> it's a big year for us. And um, when we first started the ministry, as you see, we really had a desire to teach the Word of God, but we also wanted to provide technical skills so that they could also provide for themselves and their families. And so we started the technical college, which is way bigger than what we had in training. <laughs> so it required lots of hands and lots of people, and many of you have been there and helped us and been a part of that. And I really thank you for the commitment that you guys have had with Haiti Rise for so many years. It's been a blessing. I remember the first time meeting Pastor Rob and Angela at the conference Maybe it was a women's conference. Pastor Angela came in. I thought, man, what a ball of fire. I love her. <laughs> and so it, we go way back, okay? Before you had white hair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but I'd love to just share another slide with you that just gives a glance of, um, if you can go to one of them that we gave you, I'll tell you which one. Um, just to show a bit of what we've been able to do in the last 20 or so years, and specifically for our numbers this year. You find it? <laughs> so Haiti Arise actually is an acronym. Arise means actively raising individuals to serve and evangelize. So it's our desire to not only um, help them rise up, but be active about going out and serving and sharing the gospel and whatever they're doing. So if that means they're doing electrical, then, you know, they share the gospel through that. Um, so Mark shared some of these stats in the video already, but I just think it's so important for even myself to be reminded why. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we reach out? I mean, we have so many troubles even just right here in Alberta that if we don't take the time to reflect on it and look out, we just think, you know, everything's fine, it's great. 
But these are stats for Haiti, and they're staggering. I, I still am just like, this shouldn't even be a thing. But, um, you know, one out of five kids are malnourished. One out of ten become child slaves. That was Mark's own story. Three out of four live in poverty. Over 50% of kids in Haiti never go to school. And of the 50% that do, only 5% actually graduate. So Mark was very lucky to be one of the 5%. And that's big thanks to Claire Roberts, who started sponsoring him when he was in the children's home in, in Grand Guave. Um, so if you want to go to the next picture there. So if you can see this, I'll read some of these because I know the writing is kind of small. But this is just a glance that we, we try to estimate. You know, God cares about numbers, right? He wrote a whole book about numbers. <laughs> and so it's always good for us to go back and look, okay, what have we done? Who have we been able to impact? And so through our church, we actually have nine churches now that we've planted throughout Haiti. And we also have a fellowship of pastors that we've started um, with about 40 pastors affiliating with us. Um, between all those churches, we estimate we probably have about 1,200 people. And we do pastors in youth conferences every year. Uh, through our medical clinic, we see about 14,000 patients a year. And that's largely due to um, a doctor in Cranbrook named Bob Cutler, who has helped us bring many teams over the years and helped us build the clinic. They also do fundraising every year so we can do things like cataract surgeries. And this year alone, we were able to do um, 100 cataract surgeries for, for patients. There was one woman that we shared her story on Facebook that had never seen her baby. Like, just try to imagine... The things people are dealing with, never you don't even get to see your child if it looks like you or if it doesn't look like you. And then her eyes were fixed. And she came back with just like the biggest joy to sh and with her child. Look at how beautiful my baby is. <laughs> so that's been a huge blessing. And right now we're working on something with the medical clinic. It's to open a birthing center. Uh, we have partially opened. We do um, a nutrition program for moms and babies. We have about a 1,000 women that come every month to receive a nutrition pack. That It's kind of like a peanut butter that's packed full of nutrients that they can give their babies that are between 6 months to 18 months uh, just to make sure they're getting what they need because a, a lot of people just don't know. They don't know what they're supposed to feed their kids. They don't even know that they can breastfeed until up to a year. They just don't know. So we try to provide that as well as education, and we're looking forward to opening the birthing center fully this year. Uh, we've had some setbacks, as I'm sure you've heard, but I'll share a little bit more about that in a second. Um, with our education program, we've got all the way up to grade 9 now, from preschool to grade 9, and we have almost 600 kids in the um, elementary and high school. And we have about half of those sponsored through child sponsorships. Um, some of you sponsor kids in our elementary school. It's 35 bucks a month, and you help them get an education so that they can be a part of that 5% that actually graduates. Um, and then we also do home repairs and home rebuilding, especially after disasters like the earthquake in 2010. Um, the hurricanes, Matthew, and other hurricanes that have come through. So whenever a situation comes up and we have the funds that people have been able to provide to do that, we just keep building houses. Because if you don't have a place to raise your family and feel safe, 
it's really hard to focus on the future or have vision for your own kids, right? Um, and then the last piece in our kind of five-fold ministry, we call it, is the orphan care. We have a children's village that helps provide um, housing for orphans, abandoned, and rescued slave children. And it's not just a big orphanage with a few adults. It's actually home units. So each home has a couple that's raising five to eight kids, and uh, they're living as a family. That becomes their family, and those parents go along with those kids until they age out. And then when they do age out, we plan to build homes for them outside the campus so the parents can move and still become grandma and grandpa and all those fun things. So that's been a real blessing to just witness and be a part of the life change in these um, kids that have pretty tragic stories, but now they're being redeemed. Amen? Yeah, it's awesome. And then we do a lot of other transformation projects, which we just call that anything that's outside of our campus. So we have a prison ministry where we provide uh, legal assistance to prisoners that don't have representation so that they can get before a judge. A lot of um, prisoners in Haiti are not in prison for actual big crimes, like maybe they got in a car accident and broke someone's mirror, or they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. We had one prisoner last year that we were able to help get free that was in prison for nine years, and he didn't even know why. They kept moving him from prison to prison, and each time he was moved, his file got lost, and so that was a big, huge success. We're really happy about that. Um, out of 202 cases, we've had 175 prisoners able to be um, get their representation and get their, their freedom, so that's been awesome. And along with that, we're not just releasing criminals. <laughs> Go out and create. No, um, we're actually providing them education as well of how to reintegrate into society and become useful if they actually were criminals. We usually do not represent people that have been involved in serious you know, cases where they're actually guilty. And sometimes if they have actually committed a crime that's not a major offense, we just help them get before the judge because they can be in prison and just sit there and never, never have their judgment. So... Um, we also have a goat farm project where we teach 5th and 6th grade students how to raise goats, and then they get a goat to take home that's pregnant at the end of their six weeks training time. So we're just doing a couple things. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys remember Paul Hogan from Crocodile Dundee. He had this quote that he says, just take a big bite and chew quickly. <laughs> That's, our, that's my theory. <laughs> but we've always just felt like if God tells us or if God gives us an opportunity or if God presents us, here's a need, I don't want to just look at the need and be like, oh, that's too bad. I want to be like, okay, God, you brought that to my attention. What can we do about it? How can we help? What do you want me to do? Because even here, the people we meet, that's what... That's why we meet them. These coincidence happenings, it is a coincident with God. He brings people together for a moment to make an impact in their lives. And we carry this amazing light with us to be able to make that impact. That I was just thinking during worship that um, as we go, we come here, we get filled up with this amazing presence of God and we're like overflowing. And then we go out into our communities. And as we go into the darkness, we become this light 
And maybe we're not going to every person like, oh, you need the light, you need the light. But the light and the darkness, people start noticing like, oh, what's that over there? And they're drawn, right? Because they're looking for something different than what they're experiencing presently. So we just need to be steady and keep our light lit. Amen? So um, really appreciate your prayers as you've maybe heard this year has been a very challenging year for Haiti. Every year is actually challenging for Haiti. (laughs) I feel like every time I speak, I'm talking about a new disaster. (laughs) But this year has been more self-inflicted. The government has been very corrupt and caused a lot of um, bad things to happen, and the people have just gotten fed up with it. And so we've had 18 months straight of protests and... um, roadblocks and no school. There was no school. They had school for about a week in September and then school was closed all the way until January. So finally now we have some reprieve after the holidays. I guess all the protesters were like, you know, this isn't working. We're not getting anywhere. My kids need to go to school too. And we're tired. (laughs) So nothing's actually changed. It's just calmed down. And so we could still use your prayers um, for just a transformation to happen in the government, for their hearts to be changed, uh, because a lot of government officials just get into government because it's a, it's a job. It's a way to solidify their paycheck, and they don't actually care about the people. So we would really appreciate your prayers for that. It has affected us in a lot of ways because we haven't been able to have teams now for a year. Our last team was in February, actually right at this time, and they ended up having to be airlifted out by helicopter um, because we couldn't get to the airport, just roadblocks everywhere. We weren't able to get there. Um, Fortunately, though, we do have an amazing campus and security, and nobody ever feels like they're not safe when they're there. Um, So that's a good thing, but it's just getting there. (laughs) It's a challenge. Um, But it's open back up now, so we're trying to get teams coming back like, no, it's actually okay, you can come. (laughs) So if any of you want to come, just let me know, and we would love to have you. We actually need some tradespeople to help us work on some projects that we haven't been able to do all year. Uh, Plumbers, electricians, and carpenters are specifically looking for. So if you feel a little tug on your heart, like, oh, that's me. (laughs) Anyways. Uh, Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you guys for your support. Thank you for your prayers. It means a lot to us. And um, as you can see, we've decorated the church this morning. So after service, if you would like to buy some stuff, all all of the artwork back here is made in Haiti and helps support the artists there. Um, One thing we decided to do when we, we went in November, Tammy and Mark and I, even though teams couldn't go, we just felt like it really was important to go and encourage the people that they're not alone. And when we went to the beach, there's nobody there. And usually the artists are all sell- selling their things, and people come to them. And we thought, oh, man, nobody's coming. So we bought a lot of stuff <laughs> and brought it back to bring to you. So hopefully you can buy it to help support them. All right. Um, so... I would love to just share a word with you that I've been kind of pondering over the last two weeks, just sitting in my heart, and I hope that God will speak to you through the word this morning. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you 
Thank you for the amazing privilege that we have to come into your presence, to worship you, that we can see you face to face. Even if we don't see you physically, Lord, we sense your presence. We know that you're here. And you do miraculous things. You just you do things that we can't do, even after we've tried and tried, Lord. When we just come and surrender it to you, Lord, you, you just make the oil in the machine run so it's smooth. And thank you, Father God, for, for being with us this morning, for speaking already through the worship and the prophetic words. And we just ask you, Lord, that you'd speak through your word. In Jesus' name. So I remember as a young girl, I grew up going to church and everything, but maybe around the age of 16, I remember a missionary came and spoke at our church. And um, I had not really been enjoying church up to that point. I thought it was kind of boring, actually. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> and I didn't know why it was relevant or how it made a difference in my life. But when this missionary came and spoke, it it's like, the whole reason for the gospel became clear to me. And I thought for the first time, maybe living for God, I could actually make an impact in the world. And it just planted the seed in my heart for missions. Obviously, that's what I'm doing today. Um, but that was, that was the time I really felt like God called me. And um, by the end of that, that message, um, my heart was so compelled People came forward to receive prayer, and I think I was probably the first one up there um, just because God was just speaking to me. And I, I didn't know that it was God at first. Um, but I would think a thought, and the missionary would say, if you're thinking, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I would think another thought. Like, honestly, this happened like four times. If you're thinking, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, And obviously that's God speaking through someone, but I didn't know at the time. I just thought, oh my gosh, is he telepathic or something? <laughs> that's not allowed in church, is it? <laughs> but anyways, it drew me and I felt like, well, obviously he, he's got my, he's reading my mail. I need, I need to go forward and respond. And I was filled with the Holy Spirit and um, my life was changed forever at the altar. And... Um, I had this new power and this zeal that consumed me for, for the things of God. Sin became like not a non-issue anymore. It wasn't difficult to say no to things that used to be difficult before. And suddenly I had this purpose, right? Anyone experience that? Yeah. So I was just pondering on this. What is it that's significant about the altar? Like, why, why, come to, why didn't it just happen in my seat? I know it can. But there was something significant about coming to the altar. And um, what does that even mean? I think today we've kind of lost the meaning in some circles of what the altar is. In fact, in a lot of churches today, you don't even really see an altar anymore, right? Maybe the more traditional churches. The Catholic Church obviously still has many altars where people light candles and things. But the modern churches, I think, are more open, like this. And, I mean, you do have an altar. The stage is higher, right? But we don't see it as often um, physically. So I'm kind of a, I'm a teacher. I like to 
know what words mean. I'm kind of nerdy that way. I love reading the dictionary. <laughs> um, the word altar comes from Latin, altarium, which means high or podium or stage. And um, in the dictionary, it's a table or a flat-topped block used as the focus for a religious ritual, especially for making sacrifices or offering to a deity. Of course, you know, the dictionary is just blanket for the general public, right? It's also found in places of worship in many religions. And like I said, today we do still see altars in some churches. Um, I also see altars nowadays in businesses. Have you guys ever noticed that? You go into a Vietnamese restaurant. Yeah, you see a little fat guy in gold. <laughs> like, put some clothes on, dude. But, you know, <laughs> they got little candle and whatever. That's their altar, right? Um, they offer a little sacrifice to it. And even, even though you don't hear about it much, there are still some cultures and some religions that sacrifice their young So it's a place of dedication, a meeting place of appeasement or atonement, of sacrifice, giving. It's a place to lay down and surrender or make holy consecration relationship. We also know when you get married, you come to the altar, right? Why? To consecrate the commitment, that meeting place, that coming together, that engagement so in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the first altar was actually erected by Noah. After, well, I probably would too, after the, world, the whole world was like destroyed. And he only, he and his family survived. He'd be like, okay, God, we are totally dedicating this place so that no more of that happens. Um, <laughs> it was his place of worship and thanksgiving after the flood had receded. And it was common among people's travels uh, for an altar to be built when they arrived somewhere, as we know about the story of Abraham, as he was called out. God called him to go to somewhere else. He didn't know where he was going. But when he got there, he declared that place, just like Jillian was prophesying this morning, declaring this place is for God. Bethel. Bethel means the meeting place with God. Jacob did the same thing. He arrived at Bethel, actually, and he, he wrestled with God, and he built another altar. We also know the story in Genesis 22 where Abraham was asked to sacrifice his own son. And I don't know about you, but if God asked me to do that, I'd be like, what? But Abraham didn't say that. So you'd have to ask yourself that, that must have been normal in those days. The religions around them often would sacrifice children. The god of Molech, that's what he called, asked for. And this is a whole nother sermon, but the god of Molech is still happening today. Our children are being sacrificed to all sorts of things. Maybe not physically. But when Abraham went with his son Isaac, 
And he finally came to a place where he felt, this is, okay, this is the place. He built an altar, and he fully expected that either he was going to sacrifice his son, and because God had promised him this son that he would raise again, another thing that must have been common in those days that they knew of, the resurrection, or God would provide some other way. It was an act of his faith, right? So that was very common for people to build altars, a place of meeting with God, a place of sacrifice, a place of establishing this place is for God. But then once the temple was built by Moses, God gave the command that all that would come into the tabernacle. He now established his altar, right? And there was many pieces of furniture in the tabernacle that were very significant in the whole process of coming to God. But the altar, he gave very specific instructions in Exodus 29. And I'll read some of it with you in a minute. But uh, he wanted them to bring all of their worship, all of their sacrifice to him in the, at the altar. That became the place of meeting. It was no longer just wherever, outside. In fact, he told them, I no longer want you to go to the high places. And those that still did go to the high places, they were, it was more for pagan ritual and, and doing their own way of trying to reach God. Do we have that going on today? So let's just look at Exodus 29 for a moment. So he gave all these instructions to Aaron, who was the high priest, and his sons that were to be consecrated. And I'll just read through with you. I mean, it's quite extensive, and I might skip a little bit just to, you know, speed up. But. And this is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull, two rams without blemish, unleavened bread, unleavened cakes, mixed with oil, unleavened wafers, anointed with oil, you shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them... They didn't have gluten problems back then. <laughs> you shall put them in one basket, bring them to the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall wash them with water. Then you shall take their garments, put the tunic on Aaron and the robe, the ephod, the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with intricately woven bands of the ephod. You shall put a turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them and you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual state. Statute. Perpetual statute. Perpetual. Doesn't that mean like forever? So you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. You shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull, then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger, and pour out the blood beside the base of the altar. 
And you shall take all of the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, and burn them on the altar. Boy, I'd like my fat to be burned. <laughs> Maybe we can come to the altar for that today. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Put the flesh of the bull with its skin and its offal, I don't know what that word means, and shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. You shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on its head of the ram. And you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It's a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall also take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram. Lots of killing happening, lots of blood. Let's go down. <laughs> to verse um, 37. So it talks about all of the very specific details of how the sacrifices were to happen. You can keep reading a little bit if you want there, but we're going to go down to verse 37. Somewhere here. Okay, let's start in 35. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them, and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. And we're going to go down to verse 43, because it talks more about offerings and the details of that. And there, verse 43, I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle, tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them up out of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Now, God really cares about details. I think he's a little OCD. <laughs> but fortunately, he recognized our trouble to keep all these rules. And he decided, like, oh, gosh, these, these guys are not getting it. I'm just going to send my son down and get the deal done. And we don't have to worry about if they cut the ole off and the f whatever, the fat off and all these things. It's done. Praise Jesus. <laughs> it's done. Once for all, Jesus made the sacrifice for us. The blood is on the altar. It's covering the altar. It's made it pure, holy. The horns of the altar. It's done. Amen. But there's still the beautiful promise here that God gave. And I just want to point out, I will meet with the children of Israel. It shall be sanctified. I will consecrate the tabernacle and the altar and the priest. 
I will dwell among them and be their God who brought them up out of Egypt. And I will dwell with them. And I am the Lord, their God. There are so many truths offered here. And I think often we miss the concepts today in our modern churches and worship services because we don't have that physical altar showing us all the representations. But something in all of us, in man, desires that place of worship, that place of meeting. We desire to set up an altar of some kind, whether we realize it or not. And we're all seeking a place where these same promises that God gave us can be fulfilled. Although we often miss the one that made the promises. I don't hear anything about what Israel promised. I mean, there's a lot of things they were supposed to do to follow. The only thing he told them to do was just do it. He made all the promises. But today, so many people are trying to fulfill promises without the promise keeper. First, Let's look at the promises again. A meeting place, that's a place of relationship to start. A place we can come together and start a commitment. A place of cleansing and washing away of all the pollution of the world, the noise, the bad, the sin, the burdens. A place that is special, set apart, where we know that we can always come back to and with others of the same desire and call. It's a place of intimacy and relationship, peace, you know, just dwelling, just being. I think we've missed that today. We have so much noise bombarding us today with the internet and with the media and everything is available right now. Whatever news is happening in China, we know it right now. So much noise. But that place of dwelling is a place of peace, just being, enjoying the other's presence. A place of freedom from slavery and burden, of work and labor. A place of safety and security. You know, there's, this, there's two stories when um, someone ran into the temple to grab the horns of the altar because they needed to be saved. They were going to be killed and somehow... That place was protected. There was security there. If you got a hold of the horns of the altar, you were safe. And a a place where we are not alone, where we can surrender and finally recognize there's someone greater than us, that we don't have to figure it out. Praise God. I I don't know about you, but a lot of days I can't figure it out. We see so many examples of other kinds of altars today. Let me give you some, like a football stadium, place of meeting, right? A place that's special, (laughs) a place where they don't have to work or labor. They can celebrate together. Ah. Yoga. How about the dinner table? (laughs) That's become an altar for many. Food becomes their God. 
Or even marriage and intimate relationships can become an altar, trying to take the place of our relationship with God. But the problem is in all of these, we might have a measure of fulfillment, but it can never satisfy everything because we're actually longing for the promises to be fulfilled outside of our own ability and strength. My husband can't ever do all this for me. Football definitely can't. (laughs) 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 So I'm just going to wrap it up quickly here because I know time is of essence maybe. So we recognize here God is the one making the promises. And we can have them. That's the beautiful thing. This is what we go out and we can share with others. You can actually have your life fulfilled. There's a way. He only requires one thing from us. And that's obedience. So if I look at these verses throughout Exodus 29, the first thing he says is, come. Would you just come already? Like, just invite someone to church. Why don't you just come? I'm not even going to preach you all this stuff. Just come and you can see for yourself. Right? Come. Second, he washes us with the water of his word. When we begin to learn his word, it washes us. It cleans our mind. It cleans all the filth away. The world is just like like this constant nagging on us. And the word can just wash that all away, bring us peace again. He covers us. You see, he told them to put on their priestly garments so they can go into his presence. He covers us with the work that Jesus already did. That talks about believing. We just, we have to believe in that. So we come, we're washed, we believe. Then we give our sacrifices. Thanksgiving, praise, surrender. And then we get to celebrate. We get, they got to eat the, the sacrifice. They got to eat the bread. They were anointed with the wine. They actually got to partake in all of those things they were sacrificing. They got to celebrate with it. So, what's so life-changing about the altar? I think when I had that experience as a young woman, that became the first of many times learning that I just had to respond to God's invitation and come. And I came to a place pretty early on, I realized, if I just respond each time, come, 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 come already, just come. I experienced greater measure all the time of his his promises. That if I believed and let the word, the hearing of the word, change my mind, I made the decision to give whatever I was struggling with to him as a sacrifice of surrender. Then I could thank him and celebrate in the promises that he would fulfill in my life. He would actually meet me, cleanse me, set me apart as his special prize. Give me freedom from worry and anxiety. Replace it with rest and peace. Reassurance that I don't have to figure it out on my own. And I'm not alone. Isn't that wonderful? Like, what promises? And I think even we have a lot of people sitting in church that are not experiencing this. 
They're not experiencing the full measure of what God has, of his promises, because we just don't always respond. We don't always want to come. We don't always want to surrender. But when you experience it, you desire it more, right? Any opportunity that I had to come into worship, to come in for prayer, to come to the altar, man, I was on it, like white on rice. <laughs> so praise God, we, we no longer have to go through all of those sacrifices and all of the liturgy of the Old Testament. Jesus has already done it for us. But we do still need to respond. Come. So I would just like to take some time this morning, if it's okay, if anyone would like to come for anything. I don't even have to pray for you. You can come and meet with God right here. But it does take a step. It means responding, right? And yes, he can meet you in your seat. That's fine. But I've always found when I actually, like, step out, like, okay, God, everyone sees me now. (laughs) I'm making a step. Here I am. Can you please, like, do something for me because I'm right here? (laughs) Especially if people know my problems. (laughs) Just take the step and come. Can we do that this morning? So maybe we can have some worship and... Just come, come. If you need healing, if you want to meet with God, if you need a new revelation, if you need clarity, you need direction, you just want to be in his presence. And there's no, absolutely no judgment if you decide if you've got somewhere to go or you decide you're not ready. That's okay. God still just gives the invitation. Father, we just come to you right now, Lord. And we want to respond, God. In our hearts first, we just respond to your call because we thank you, Lord, that you have all these promises for us. We do not have to struggle and try to figure it out on our own. And Lord, even if we're going through a difficult season in this moment, if someone is here today and they're maybe in a situation of turmoil in their family, Their marriage is not what they wish it was. Or they just don't know what they're supposed to do in the next step of their life. Thank you. You have the answers, Lord. So I just ask you, God, that you'd come and meet us today. Meet with us. Cleanse off all the pollution of the world. Cleanse our minds. Help us hear you. Dwell with us, God. Give us that peace and that serenity. People are seeking. They're trying to find it through yoga or meditation or emptiness that doesn't have you in it, God. You are the one that provides peace. Thank you, Jesus. Security. Lord, if there's someone struggling today with work, with the economy here, Lord, it's been a challenge. God, you you can take care of that. So we just come to you this morning, Lord. So I just encourage you to take some time 
whatever you feel like you need to surrender to God, whatever he brings to your mind, that's how he speaks to us. He, he brings things to our mind, brings a, an emotion or a, a memory, a situation. Just give it to him. Surrender it to him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you that you accept our sacrifices, Lord. That they are as sweet aromas to you, Lord. each person here today, Lord, that we would remember, Lord, to set up altars in our lives, create space for you, to be intentional about meeting with you, to come to the place of meeting, to not neglect this place that you have given us to meet with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Bless you, Lord. Meet your people today, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lisa, if I can actually prophesy over you. Mark's not here, so we'll just pretend he is. (laughs) When you were talking about... The, um, the corruption in Haiti. God reminded me of a word that I brought when I was in Haiti. That he was rise, raising up a leader that would change the course of the nation. That would bring, would bring an end to corruption. And I felt the Lord say into my spirit that you and Mark have been tested in the small things. And in the bigger things. And he says, I'm going to put Haiti into your hands. Because you guys have been found faithful. And the Lord has shown me that there is a child. I do not know if it's a boy or a girl that will is either already in your midst or not yet born, but will come through into under your wing. And you will raise this young one up without even knowing who they are. But as they grow, you will see wisdom and you will see a heart to see the nation changed and transformed. And you will raise this young one up and they will become the president of the nation. And they will bring an end to corruption. And they will bring the word of the Lord. And they will bring order where there has been chaos. And I see many other leaders rising up from in Haiti rise that will sit in official oppositions, that will hold places within the bureaucracy of that nation. And the Lord says, do not look with your natural eyes to figure out who it is, but I will show you 
But I see you and Mark as an old couple sitting in, in the parliament there, seeing how the nation is beautiful and how things have changed and the transformation is coming. And the Lord says, I am giving you the nation because you have been faithful with the small things. The nation is yours. Ask for it. Begin to train the young ones in how to care for their nation. And in that, you will see the transformation. You will see a son or a daughter bring the transformation that that nation is desperately needing. It's not just about the technical school, it's awesome. It's full transformation. It's full healing of that nation. The Lord says, I am entrusting it to you. I am trusting it to you. I just want to confirm that word. Matt and I hadn't spoken at all. But as I was thinking of you coming into this week, God said, I'm giving you the mountain of government. And he's... He's, he's raised up capable ones that you can entrust much of what's going on in the practical sense at Haiti Rising. And God says, I want you to put your eyes on the mountain of government and to begin to um, create training, mentorship, develop a program with the seat of government in mind, with the leadership of na- the nation in mind. So I just want to confirm that word. Lord, we just thank you for Mark and Lisa, for Haiti Arise. We thank you for their heart. We thank you for all that they are pouring into that place. And Lord, I just pray for courage. I pray for strength and tenacity to see through that which you have called them to do. Lord, that they would not get weary as the enemy puts up roadblocks and resists them. Because, Lord, they are not alone, but they have hundreds of people in churches that stand behind them. And we just lift them up and we support them. And we say, we will support you and run with you. We will be your cheerleaders. We will never stop praying for you. And where the Lord leads, we will financially support you. To see you accomplish all that the all that you've been called to do. And so, Lord, we just pray a blessing. And we just pray right now, wherever Mark is, he feels your hand. We just, we just pray that your hand will be upon them. We thank you for them as a couple, for the gift they are, not just to Haiti, but to the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.